wants to jump. 1,000 cars. Sir, you have a 1,000 cars. I don't think I'd attempt to try this stunt. Or we, we owe this horsepower to Uncle Sam. <laughs> Too many cars. Car. You know, roses would be... Uh... Like, I put my beer belly on it. Yeah. And you can't immediately tell somebody how many cars you have. You'll really give those uppity yuppies something to think about. Stay on the bar. Don't go yeah. off the bar with your Bronco. 1980 Volvo horns, what's right? Like, me, me. Yeah, the man's coolant. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I thought it'd be small. It's for a small car. And I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's still an automatic transmission. They're never going to be light. It's definitely going to have to crash. Starting off with Brad buying another car. That's the West. <laughs> Internet. You know, is this a Nigerian oil print? Uh, I also wish you drove a tan Camry. Anyways, anyway, that, that's har- a horrible, very horrible podcast content. Very inside joke. Welcome to the 300th episode of Auto Off Topic. What's going on, Brad? Oh, not too much, Andrew. Uh, I'd like to point out this is the 299th episode, only because our special 200th episode never saw the light of day. There's like three or four lost episodes, but (laughs) according to the hosting, we were at 299. So... If that's the case, this is the 300th hosted episode, which means it's our 304th recorded episode. Okay. We'll count those. But anyways, you don't just have to listen to us tonight. We've got uh, a guest on, uh, Patrick Gazowski. Hey, guys. What's up, Patrick? Hey, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here for your 300th hosted episode. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for getting the specifics right, Patrick. I appreciate that. We um, love semantics here. We do. We, and we have pedantic corrections. Uh, so I kind of met Patrick through some mutuals on Twitter. And then I got him to join the Discord. And he's been posting some really cool car projects with us. So again, come join the Discord. There's some cool stuff going on. You'll get to see. Yeah, Patrick uh, has gone and out obscure card me. So... <laughs> We need a little uh, obscure car competition here. I think we'll get we'll get to that in a little bit, but I promise none of you will see it coming. Well, before we get into it, um, there's something you wanted to talk about real quick, Brad. Yeah, real fast. So another podcast who I won't name that we listen to. I know I think you do as well, Andrew. Um, the other day they were having a conversation about drivers in California intentionally hitting bicyclists and I understand the the car person kind of mainstream perspective of bikes are bad, cars are good, cars bikes don't belong on the road. Um, it's obviously not the case, and anybody hitting bicyclists on purpose uh, should be punished at the full extent of the law. And this is a very personal conversation for me as somebody who does ride a road bike from time to time and somebody whose significant other spends thousands of miles a year riding a road bike and every time she leaves the house i get nervous about other drivers being around her and this whole thing kind of timed in and i wanted to bring it up based on their conversation last week that yes bicycles can be annoying but not every bicyclist is annoying but what every bicyclist is is a person not a bicycle so if you do hit a person on a bicycle you're committing an assault, period, end of story. And you wouldn't just walk by a random person and punch them in the face, which is less dangerous than hitting them with your car, obviously. 
And timing wise, this all just kind of worked out because we had a tragedy here in Phoenix three days ago where a group of cyclists who some of which are part of the group that my significant other, Naomi, who you all know from being on the podcast, has ridden with in the past and knows uh, were run down by a man driving a pickup truck and he ran over 12 of them, killed two of them, and some of them are still in the hospital now. So it it all kind of really hit me the same time. And I just wanted to put it out into the atmosphere there that as car enthusiasts, we need to also remember that we're driving 3,000 pound, 3, pound plus cars and people on bicycles are people on bicycles. They might as well be pedestrians. You wouldn't hit a pedestrian. You wouldn't hit a bicyclist. Please just, just relax. Be careful. If one bicyclist annoys you, just remember it's, 10 seconds out of your life before you're around them. And then they go about their day and you go about your day. And if you do something and you hurt that person, or even if you annoy them because people in cars have annoyed us in the past, you're just you're ruining your own day. You're ruining your own life. And if you do hurt them, obviously you're ruining multiple people's lives and you will be in jail. So it's just one of those things that it just was, it's been in my brain for a while now. And then another podcast was talking about people in California who are hitting bicycles on purpose and kind of making light, uh, making light of the situation and, and joking about it. And like I said, I, I get it. It's the commonplace kind of discussion that's always been on the internet in car groups is that, you know, bicycle, bad car, good, but I just remember it's, it's a person and it's not, it's not a bicycle. If you hit a person, you hit a person and their life is forever changed. And so is yours. And, you know, it, uh, tragedies like what happened here a couple of days ago don't need to happen. So I I don't know the specifics of what happened here. It's all still being investigated. But I do know that somebody drove over a group of, I think it was 12 or 13 cyclists or 13 or 14 cyclists. And he hit 12 of them. And I don't know how you do that because they were all in a row. So it was like a full tenth to eighth eighth to tenth of a mile or tenth to eighth of a mile of running over people and not stopping so it just it hurts my heart a lot especially being so close to somebody who does ride a lot in the street and somebody who myself rides a lot in the street and i also know that we have listeners who are bicycle enthusiasts as well as car enthusiasts too so i know they're already on my side but it just i want to remind people to just be careful please and that's my that's my rant to begin this podcast and i don't want to make it you know brad on a soapbox but it's important to me. So there you go. No, it's, it's good. It's, you gotta, you literally do have to share the road. There's no yep. reason, you know, I work in the city and it's a very bike centric city in Somerville, Cambridge. And a lot of my coworkers bike to work cause they live locally. And then I often, I park kind of far away from work and I use bikes or an electric scooter as a sort of last mile transportation. And you like, there are some people that are just totally oblivious in cars Yep, that you're even there. You're like, even in a place where it's totally normal to have a lot of bikes around, people are completely oblivious and it's a little scary sometimes, but like riding it in nice weather, I'm like, Oh, I get the appeal of this. Like, this is nice. Like, like I'm not sitting in bumper to bumper traffic. I'm just moving along in the bike lane and I get to work in 10 minutes, then 30 minutes sitting in traffic or 30 minutes of walking or something. Yeah. But <clears throat> You know, I've had a couple close calls or even as a pedestrian, uh, you know, say bikes annoy us. Like I've, I've stepped out and almost gotten hit by bikes who have run red lights. So sure. I, again, and it it's goes both ways. 
it, it definitely goes both ways. And that's the thing is that the whole, the whole automotive culture is the bikes are bad. And yeah, there are some bicyclists who are not obeying the laws and they should be held responsible just like car drivers are. But the vast majority of the people who are riding bikes are obeying the laws. The main problem I see often is that car drivers don't understand the laws of bicycles. If there is no bike lane, if there is no shoulder, the bike is allowed to be in the lane. The bike is not allowed to be on the sidewalk. So if the bike's in your lane yeah. and there's car traffic coming the other way and you have to wait, what is it, 10, 15 seconds maybe for an opening to go over around them? What's 10, 15 seconds compared to hurting somebody and ruining their life and your life forever? And yeah, sure. The whole conversation, there's a few bad apples ruin the bunch. And absolutely, there's bicyclists that are annoying and do things wrong. And But if, if you had a better understanding of what bicyclists were doing out there, then I think the world would be a better place. And I just, I don't know. It's one of those things where I just, I've been, I've been stewing on it and I wanted to get it out there. And I know we have a semi-public forum here and I just wanted to put the, the thoughts of the atmosphere and just kind of remind people that it's people on bicycles. It's not bicycles. So that's all. Yeah. Just give people space off. Yeah, exactly. Give the space. Wait, wait to 10 seconds and go around. No so, big deal. All right. On that, that note. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that, Brad. Um, all right. Let's talk to Patrick. Oh, yeah. Patrick's here. Sorry, Patrick. Well, yeah, I'm here to uh, take it down that path in your first guesting appearance. That's okay. On the record, I love bicycles, too. So Perfect. Perfect. Well, we'll uh, if you ever come to Arizona, we'll have to get you out in a bike ride because we have tons of good biking here. And uh, hopefully that isolated incident is not a common event. All right, Patrick. Mm -hmm. We'll start with the easiest question of them all. Okay. How'd you get into cars? How did I get into cars? Oh boy. Um. So, you know, I'm from Cleveland, and we, when I was born, lived in a duplex in the city. It had a two car garage, and the old lady we rented from did not have a car. So my dad had. A 1948 Chevy Fleetline and a 1954 Chevy Bel Air in the garage. So we moved in 83 next door to a guy named Bill. And he had a 65 Impala SS convertible and let me hang out in his garage with him and his car buddies. And that cemented everything for me. That's very cool. I, my father will, I'm sure, listen to this and correct me, but I think we also had a either 48 or 49 Fleetline when I was a kid, and that was one of the first cars that I remember having a connection to and falling in love with. And he often tells the story of when he sold it, me crying at the window, watching it drive away. Hmm. So mean. Right? How dare he sell his car? Right. <laughs> My daughter cried when I sold my WRX. Okay. So. Well, she was just, you know, she didn't realize that you were selling it before they had gasket let go. So it's fine. <laughs> oh, come on. The, um, all right. So, um, you said, so you got into cars through muscle cars. Yes. And you sold a WRX. What, uh, so what kind of cars do you like then? kind of a loaded question it's a very loaded question because you guys know that my tastes are all over the board um my first love is probably 50s gms 
uh, the 54 that I told you about, my dad, when I turned 12, told me that when my mom got pregnant and they knew it was a boy, which, you know, how sexist is that, um, <laughs> bought that car to give to me before I was born. Um, so he gave it to me when I turned 12. So I've kind of, I've been around the 50s GM stuff my entire, like, car life. So now I have that 54 and a 57. Um, but, you know, then I started going to the cruise nights with all the old guys and getting into the muscle cars. And then Gran Turismo happened and I got exposed to everything Japanese. And it's kind of all been this weird mishmash in my garage ever since then. We, we all share that similar story. Our, our parents got us into the American muzzle cars or in my case, also some British sports car stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, Gran Turismo. And it's the same thing for anybody who's in our, our age bracket. I think we had no, oh, yeah. Way the PS one was like the end of me. Yeah. We had, we had no way to be exposed to that stuff until that happened. And once that happened, it was like, Oh, there's these cars that are more than just do up music and drag racing. Yeah. And that was a, a huge, like a, a moment for all of us, I think, you know, and now obviously our, our current car collections sort of, uh, sort of go with that. And I, again, not to play same, same, but I have the, you know, similar story of my dad bought a car for me to have when I got older and it's the Camaro that I still have today. And you have that Chevy that you still have today. And mm -hmm. I think that's a really cool thing to have done for, for us growing up. And it kind of really made it so we couldn't not be car people. Oh yeah. I did the same thing. Um, when my son was seven, we were watching an auction and he talked me into buying him a 41 Studebaker. So that's in my buddy's mom's barn waiting for him to get old enough. Excellent. That's, that's excellent. Unfortunately, I don't have a son to, to do that for, but Andrew, you'll have to carry the torch. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> well, Marco seems to be obsessed with cars, so you've already, uh, he is you're already well on your way. All right, cool. Um, Patrick, what uh, we've seen you wrench a lot of cars. Like, what, what kind of appeals to you about working on cars? Ooh, let's see. It at first it was because I was poor and could not afford to have people work on my cars. Um, you know, the, a lot of stuff went down right around the time I started driving, and we did not have much money. Um, so when stuff broke, I had to figure out how to fix it. But now, you know, with the, with the dawn of the internet and being on the car forums, like literally since the late nineties, I love sharing the stuff I do with people and seeing their reactions. Um, even like way, way back 99, I bought a 80 Camaro that was wrecked in the mid eighties and sat for a long time and just resurrecting that and seeing how people responded to it kind of fueled all of the stuff that has built to what I do now. I think that the internet and the forum life, it, it really has helped a lot of people start working on things because it gives you accountability. 
You're not mm-hmm. just by yourself in a garage working on something. You're you're showing your progress and people see what you're doing and you're kind of held to that standard of, okay, now I have to finish this. And I, I had that similar conversation as, you know, listeners know I've been working on that Merc core for the past few weeks and being very frustrated with it. Uh, I'm not going to go into project properties right now, but it does run. But the kind of push that I had to continue doing it was being in the discord group, being on Instagram and giving updates and people asking and questioning and other people wondering what was going on with it kind of keeps me motivated to do it. So I, Oh, I totally. That for sure. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons that we kind of, uh, you know, meshed pretty well when we first met on the internet because we were watching you build your most recent project. You've been doing all this winter and I don't know when you started it. Cause I didn't know you when you started it, mm-hmm. but, uh, I think that now is a good time to uh, talk about your current project and what the car is and uh, what style you've chosen for it and uh, see how many people listening even know what this particular car is. That project started May 4th, 2018. Um, that was the date that I pulled it out of the Harbor Freight tent and put it in the garage and tore it apart. Um it's a 1958 Wartburg 311 limousine, and in German car speak, limousine just means a four-door sedan. Um, yes, definitely not very long. No. Um, they're, you know, they're small cars. It's like 240Z footprint from above. Um, originally, it had a three-cylinder, two-stroke front-wheel drive. Um, now... It has a custom tube frame and is a bright metallic green with gold roof gasser with a V8 and is ready to go drag racing here in the spring. That's putting it short. So for those, That's very who, short. For those who don't know what a Wartburg is, um, it's obviously an East German sedan. Yes. Uh, it is. So when you first showed pictures of it, I knew it was not a General Motors product, but the uninitiated would have a hard time discriminating it from like a 53 Chevy, at least in photographs when they can't see the size of it, because it it looks to be like it would scale out to the same size as like a 53 Bel Air. Yeah. So it's obviously not if it's 240Z size, which I didn't even know. But no, it's tiny pictures I've seen. It looks way bigger than that. So that's even cooler that it's actually also tiny and V8 powered now. So so probably similar to like a Henry J size. Probably pretty similar. Yeah, Um, it's funny that you went with 53 because my buddy Pete. um, He said when he first saw it, it looked like a scaled down 54. Okay, I mean, 53 and 54 are pretty similar. They're the same car, minus the grill yeah. and the taillights. Just grill trim differences and stuff, so. Yeah. But that's what I saw when I saw the car initially. I said, oh, that, that looks like a like a, a slightly smaller, but not much smaller, 53 Chevy. But learning now that it's the size of a 240Z, that's a very small car. And yeah, I probably use 50. Car. Yeah, it's cool. I probably use 53 because 53 and 54s are my favorite Chevys, so. Well, cool. Brad, did you know what it was when you saw it? I did not know what it was. I knew I it was German. It I knew it was German. I couldn't picture out what it was. Uh, in my defense, it didn't have any trim or a grill that matched the car when I saw it first. <laughs> so 
maybe I would have picked it out eventually because I do I do know what a Wartburg is. Um, it was definitely in the condition it was in when I first saw it. I did not know it was. It's got a gasser stance now. It's bumperless. Is the grill back in it now? I think it is, right? Yeah, the grill's in it. Okay, so it's got a full flip nose on it now. I mean, the thing is wild, and it's it, every bit looks the part if you were to build a '53 Chevy sedan into a gasser. Again, to the uninitiated, that's kind of what it looked like. So just picture a metallic green with gold it's a gold roof, I think, right? I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. So like metallic green with a gold roof, 53 Chevy in a gasser, and then just kind of squash it a little. <laughs> and that's kind of what you have. So what motor's in that thing? Um, It's got a 350 Chevy. It's very, very simple. Um, I literally took it out of my dad's Roadmaster wagon when he was done with it and bought some Vortec heads on Craigslist for 80 bucks, and a used intake and a used $10 cam. And Perfect. slapped some new pistons in it so I could run nitrous. Okay. And that's the kind of thing where it's not really that important anyway, because building the car is the important part, and that 350 Chevy is such a common thing that you could build something else on the side. and. Oh, I could it blow it sky high and not care. <laughs> change it at a moment's notice. And I assume it's yeah. backed by like a 350 turbo or a 400 or... Yeah, it's a Turbo 350. Um, it's actually the Buick pattern transmission with okay. an adapter because my buddy's boss gave me the transmission for free. Nice. So, so it's a budget I'm, project, you're saying? <laughs> oh, very budget. Um, initially, I wanted to take it to the Grassroots Motorsports $2,000 challenge and just show up and be stupid with a gasser. Okay. Um, but in 2019, when it was clear that we were not going to get it done for that, just in time for the event. Um, I gave up and spent a little more money on it, but I don't have more than like three grand in it. Excellent. Well, it looks very cool. It looks way more than three grand, which is, which is excellent. Is it, is it all steel? Everything except the trunk lid. That's fiberglass. So I I do have the steel trunk lid. You made a mold of the original trunk lid, I assume? Um, The guy I bought it from did. Okay. So he, it's got a weird story. If I could give you like the one minute synopsis. Give us a Um, story. That's what we're here for. 2009, the 24 Hours of Lemons had an essay contest to give this car away. And one of the GRM forum guys won it. And the next year, they ran a Lemons race, a road rally from New York to New Orleans, and the $2,000 challenge all in the same year. And he essentially used like a Porsche 944 suspension, a VW transaxle, and a Subaru 2.2 in the back. Okay, so the car was already modified. Yes, it was, it was stock when he got it. And then he built it and had big plans. But then something else shiny caught his eye. Just like a lot of us. He sold it. Somebody took it apart and couldn't put it back together. He bought it back just to save it from getting crushed and then immediately contacted me because he knew I wanted it before. Excellent. Well, it sounds like it was wild before. I'd love to see pictures of the before as well. I didn't I didn't know it had that story. I thought it went from a, you know, field somewhere and then got passed around a bunch till you got it. I didn't know. There was no, it, it's led a heck of a life. 
I mean, it's probably the only Wartburg that made it to America and was modified for any kind of motorsport. I would think so. I think, honestly, most of the other ones are in Los Angeles. Was there ever because an official there's a guy out them? there that runs a website called WartburgUSA.com, and he owns like a whole backyard full of them. He has all of them. Just about. Okay, so he's like the, the he's like me with Dodge Colts. He's the Wartburg guru. Okay, if it's yeah. Weird. I was gonna ask if there was like an enthusiast base, but it's just one guy. It's it's just Victor. Say <laughs> so, so somebody has to be so. Does he, does he yeah. share his opinion with you of the car? Does he like your car, or is he anti your car? Oh, he's been to my house. Okay, good. So, so he he, he enjoys that it was getting saved instead of crushed. All right. Yeah, that's that's the argument I have with lemons cars all the time. Like some of them, I think are a shame, and some of them, I'm like, well, it would just be crushed otherwise. So, yeah. now you've you've competed yourself in the two thousand dollar challenge, have you not? I have. I don't think uh, we've four had a guest times. on. I don't think we've had a guest on yet who has. So, hmm. do you have any one particular car you want to tell us about that you built for that and how the event went down? I had. Let's see. 2015, I bought a a 280Z out of a field in southern Ohio and slapped it together and went and did really poorly, but learned how the event worked. I feel and like the next year, the common yeah, start the, for that. Yeah. So the next year, I went back and did a little bit better. And then in 2017, we went back with like actual proper tires and testing the car more than driving it onto the trailer before the event and got on the podium and brought home a trophy. Excellent. What was the car powered by? Was it still a six cylinder car or was it? No, I did a complete budget 5.3 LS with nitrous. Um, I bought a $500 Chevy Express taxi van with 428,000 miles on it and slapped the drivetrain in the car with a nitrous kit. And I bought some used road racing Hoosier slicks for the autocross. And I had used um, drag slicks for the drags. This all sounds like so much fun. And I am I'm jealous that I've never done any of that stuff. I've always been interested in the $2,000 challenge. You know, I remember reading it about it back in the late 90s. I think, I think cool. it was the year 2000, wasn't it? Or yeah, no, 2000. Yeah. Or 99 was the first one. Yeah, it was the $1,999 challenge. Then every year it yeah. went up by a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> I think initially it was the $1,500 challenge. Oh, was it? But then like inflation caught up. In 2000, they changed it. I know that there are some seriously fast cars that have been built within the rule spec, and I'm sure there's some fudging of numbers here and there, but the general camaraderie and the general, you know, competition always seems to be pretty, pretty close to the, to the actual number. Yeah. Generally speaking, yeah, generally speaking from the inside, um, the people that really do well at the event are the ones that don't BS their numbers. Okay, you so know, they're cheating. They're cheat. very transparent. Cheaters never win. <laughs> right. Um, the people that cheat don't stick around long because they realize that they're cheating and they are not 
they can't hang with the people who are actually doing it right. That they're not having a good time. Well, it seems like a weird thing to cheat at. It is. It, I mean, when it boils down to it, it's an event that's put on so a magazine can have stuff to write about. Yeah, and they give you like a cheese ball trophy, probably. I've got a trophy that's literally a small block piston and a rod screwed to wood. Yeah, which you already had from all your other previous projects, right. just not screwed to wood. <laughs> yeah, so it's like why bother? Why bother cheating at it? It's kind of silly. It is. But I know. I hear like I hear stories of cheating in like lemons all the time. So lemons, the budget is more like a suggestion anymore. Yeah, isn't that like? Isn't that like encouraged? Like that's just kind of the way yeah. it is. Yeah. Like not... I know our friends built a car that was kind of more in the spirit of it. And then they showed up their first lemons race and was like, Oh, that's not how this works at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't really understand. I, I, again, anybody who listens knows my thoughts on lemons and I'm not always positive, but <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it is what it is. The $2,000 well, challenge was... seemed more appealing to me. Yeah, it's mostly right. The you take a decent car, and then they turned it into a race car and like destroyed it. Yeah, but there's the opposite of taking a very bad car that had no other options in life, and turning it into a, a lemons car. I guess is is better. Kind of like this Wartburg. I mean, what was going to happen to it? Right, it was already modified by someone. Right, it, it was just going to rot into the ground. Uh, and now it's like a super cool gasser. So it, it will certainly last longer now than ever would before because it now has appeal outside of the obscure car community, too. Like it used to be, you know, guys like Patrick or I would be the only guys to be like, oh, cool, a Wartburg. But right. now it's a gasser, and tons of hot rod guys would probably be like, man, this thing's awesome because it's a gasser. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it, it's definitely. It's definitely a cool car. I'm way into it. And you're right, Andrew. It's definitely better than ever being crushed. So, Patrick, did you fab the chassis on it? Two thirds of it. Oh. So it was part um, of that kit or? No, I built everything. Um, so the original frame was actually a really nice rectangle tube, but there was no room for what I wanted to do. So I kept that between the body mounts and went forward and back from that with all new metal that I scrounged from places. Okay. Interesting. I guess it makes sense that a fifties German car would just have a box tube frame without anything fancy. Mm -hmm. So it's cool. You're able to build off of it. I know some of us that watch the automotive YouTubes have seen like, what was that most recent one they did that uh, gremlin they made a gasser out of. They put a model a frame under it. Hmm. So there's, Multiple ways to skin a cat, I guess, but oh, yeah. if you already have a partial frame, then you don't have to worry about sinking the frame into the floor or sitting on top of the frame and looking goofy and just kind of building oh, yeah. off of it makes sense. So, so then what's the, like, what's the rear end that goes in it? It's like a Ford or something or a... Yeah, that one, it's a nine inch Ford that obviously I had to narrow because the car's so small. Yeah. So I got to buy a bunch of new tools. And that was cool. Um, it was very like, I don't know, anxiety inducing having to cut the ends off of a rear axle housing and, you know, put it all back together and make it straight. But I love learning new skills and buying new tools to do that. So in the end, it turned out to be really fun and it's worked really well. 
more power to you. I like buying the new tools and intending to learn new projects and then getting anxiety over actually doing it. So you get one step up on me. <laughs> I, so I go then, into everything with great intentions. Uh, I probably could see this from pictures. I think it, is it like coil spring the rear? Is it leaves? Uh, it's coilovers. Coilovers. It's a triangulated four link um, and some old circle track coilovers with softer springs. That's cool. And then what is what happens with the front suspension? It's like a, a beam axle. Yeah, that's a another thing that needed narrowed. Um, I didn't want to go like something from the '40s with crappy brakes. I wanted right. like good brakes and easy to replace parts. And it turned out that the XJ Jeep Cherokees that came in two wheel drive had a solid axle that bolted in just like the four wheel drive one. Huh. Uh, so I found one of those and I chopped off all the brackets and I sectioned nine and a half inches out of the center, um, welded it back together and put leaf spring perches on it and made my own suspension and steering. Nine and a half inches. So yes, this thing is nine and a half inches narrower than an XJ. Yes. And XJ is not a big vehicle. No, it's <laughs> that, not. That really gives you kind of a perspective of how small this thing actually is. Mm hmm. That's a that's a tiny little thing. That's that's crazy. And so the rest of it is just kind of just a mix of whatever American hot rod parts you can kind of find laying around or factory parts. Yeah, a lot of like steering and stuff. Yes, like uh what did I do? Uh 67 Camaro steering box that I reversed so it would swing the other way. Um you know, I made the motor mounts. I bought generic, you know, fender well headers off eBay, assuming I would have to like cut and weld them and they were perfect. Nice. Just a, it was an exercise in using a lot of crap that I had laying around, which is generally how projects go in my garage. So, well, I'll say that uh, you must be making fun of me the past few weeks. Trying to put one part in a car and you're building a whole car mm -hmm. from scratch. So, so Patrick, where did you learn to like fab stuff? Was it just from, from doing things? A lot of it is self-taught. Um, my dad taught me how to weld when I was 12. Um, he was a millwright at the steel mill in Cleveland and got all kinds of different welding certifications. Um, so that was like an invaluable thing to have that guy in my house who could teach me how to weld anything. Um, so I think I was like 17. I bought my first welder at tractor supply and immediately went to summit and bought a roll cage kit for my Camaro and, you know, thought I could do everything. It turns out I was a shitty welder when I was young, but I'm a lot better now. Well, again, that's the same with anything, right? Uh, what's that line from that song? The greats weren't great when they... The greats weren't great when they started to paint. The greats are great because they paint a lot. Something like that. Mm -hmm. So you get to learn over time. Uh, I, I'm not young and I'm still a shitty welder. So, hey, it's... Uh, <laughs> 10,000 hours, right? Yeah, something like that. That's the song, right? Anyway, I know, I know it's that's another saying. It's ten thousand hours. I think I think it's the name of that song actually, and it's, it's maybe when we get it to ten thousand hours of this podcast, we'll be better at it. But <laughs> yeah, sometimes it feels like we're there already, Andrew. <laughs> no, but it's one of those things that you have to do it a lot, a lot, a lot, and get better at it. And uh, I 
having that welder in your house obviously was a huge advantage because you know that's something that we didn't have and obviously you know my father taught me different things he wasn't a welder so Mm -hmm. he didn't teach me how to weld (laughs) so no fault of his but nobody nobody taught him how to weld i guess so there you go i didn't uh didn't learn to weld and it's one of those things that i do often think that would be a game changer in building stuff because once you know how to weld i mean there's not much you can't do so and this this wartburg project is a pretty good indicator of it that you know, once you can weld and you know where to source some parts, you can make something out of nothing. And it's one of those things that I think as car enthusiasts, as time goes on, we're going to have to continue to learn to be more resourceful because parts will become harder to get for our old cars or they're already hard to get for a Wartburg. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to build a gasser out of it. Oh, yeah. It's very cool. I'm super, I'm super into the car and uh, I'm. I'm looking forward to seeing it in person sometime. I'm sure I'll be passing through Ohio at some point and have to stop by and check it out. So we spent a lot of time on your Wartburg um, Mm -hmm. and we know you had WRX. Are there any other cars in your past or your current collection that you uh, want to uh, talk about? Like what, uh, what, what's the general kind of car that you've owned? Have you had more muscle cars than import cars? Have you had kind of a 50, 50 mixed bag? I think I've had more trucks, honestly. Um, part of that's because I've been a carpenter for the last 26 years and needed trucks. Sure. Um, and another part is I am like head over heels for the GMT 400, you know, the 88 to 98 Chevys. I've had probably a dozen of them. That's the um, post square body truck, right? Yes. Yeah. Good trucks. So the last one of those that I had was a half ton two wheel drive short bed five speed that I swapped a 454 big block into kind of your own backyard 454 SS pretty much it was my my poor ass 454 SS I like it um so yeah I've had more trucks than anything I would say um but like the last Probably the last 10 years, I've just learned to love Japanese cars. Well, I know we haven't touched on the uh, kind of what I think is probably the crown jewel of your collection. I can kind of give us a little background on what that car is. It's kind of your holy grail, right? Actually, I have both of my holy grail cars. Okay, then let's touch on both of them. Well, we'll touch on the... The one that I think you're not talking about first, um, that's the 57 Chevy 210 two-door post. Um, I assume you're talking about the other one. I am talking about the other one. We can go. We can start with the Chevy first. So the 57. Both, both cars are cool, so. The 57 is my, like, it's seven-year-old Patrick's dream car. I had, you know, the, the folder in my Trapper Keeper with a 57 Chevy on it when I was little. Okay. So that's like, for every American car guy, especially Chevy guys, the 57 is like the the unicorn. And thankfully, they made so many of them that there's enough to go around. And I yeah, finally it seems got like there's never There's never a moment there's not one for sale in some auction somewhere. Yeah, they cost a fortune, but you know... There's plenty of them out there. Um, 
mine actually my friend's grandma bought new and she wrecked it in like 1973 and it sat and i got my hands on it and it's not wrecked anymore so i don't think i've ever even seen a picture of that car it is it's going on the lift to get finished after the wartburg is done so okay it's currently got a 99 ls1 with a cam and head work and a 4L60E automatic and I'm going to narrow and build a 9 inch for that too and just go tear around and be loud and stupid and do all the things that 7 year old Patrick wanted to do in that car I bet it sounds fun to me Yeah, I, of, I often talk about how you know as an adult I never really had a uh I never really properly had a car that I behaved poorly in. I got a few speeding tickets back in the day, but I never had like a, just a dumb burnout machine to do dumb things with. So I always, I always think that I should have something like that as my adult life, because I could probably get away with more now as an adult than I probably could have as a teenager. So maybe I need something like that myself, but what's the, is there a suspension change in that? Or is it going to be stock style front suspension or um, it's stock changed? style, but it's all, I did all tubular everything, disc brakes in the front. I'm going to do discs in the back, keep the leaf springs. Just very, like, it's an extreme departure after building a car from the ground up to build something where I can just click buy it now on stuff that bolts in. Yeah, that is, that is a nice change. It's very nice. It's going to be really quick. The 57 Chevy is one of those cars, like, you know, a 68 Camaro, like mine, where there's nothing you can't buy from a catalog. So right. it kind of takes all the guesswork out of it. So that's good. Like, oh, I'm putting an LS1 in it. Let me click, you know, that gas tank there that comes with the in-tank pump and everything all ready to go. Just drop it in and go. Yeah. The correct size and everything. Mm -hmm. No building anything at all. I like it. So you want to know about the car that... 17-year-old Patrick would do all of the stupid stuff in. I, I feel like that's the one that uh, fits our audience the most. I think it does. Uh, not that a 57 Chevy isn't cool, and we don't love those, because we do. Uh, but I think that going back to the Gran Turismo days, we all wanted this car. At one point in our life or another. Probably. That would be my 90 Skyline. That I'm sure you're referring to. That is the one. You okay. nailed it on the head. Okay. Cool. We're on the same page. Where did that car come from? How did that car come to be? I mean, I know. I read the story. Yes. But yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, everybody's got the Gran Turismo dream. And that was mine. Um, you know, some guys go for the FD RX-7. You know, some of the weird guys go for the little cars like the Alto Works or the Cappuccinos that you get early in the game because they suck and they're slow. And then the wackos like me get it in their head that someday they're going to get their skyline. And last year, actually, 20, 20, yeah, 2021 Christmas, I blame everything on my wife, Carly. Um, she didn't think she had enough stuff for me for Christmas, so she bought me a Skyline hoodie. And I okay. opened it, and I said, I gotta do this. 
you know, I'm not getting any younger. The cars aren't getting any cheaper. I've got to do it. So I started cleaning stuff out. I sold all the cars that I didn't need. I sold a bunch of parts that I had been collecting that thankfully appreciated while they were sitting on the shelves collecting dust. I had a big race trailer that I used once a year. And I sold that. And by May, I had enough money to start looking. And Did you buy a car in Japan or here? Thankfully, I bought a car here. I don't know that my anxiety would have let me buy a car in Japan and then wait for it to be shipped. Yeah, it's got to be tough, especially yeah. like when the boat sank last year. Imagine all the people that lost <laughs> cars in that situation. Oh, yeah. It would be hard yeah, to I think couldn't, about that. I couldn't go through that. Um, so this car, I was looking at a cheaper one with a lot of miles that needed work and really just decided to not settle because I didn't want another project. And this one popped up on eBay. It was a few hours away. And I lost the auction. I was all depressed and sad and missed Radwood. Since Cleveland finally got a Radwood, I, I couldn't force myself to go because I didn't have anything to take. Um, and then the car popped back up because the winning bidder was from some African country with no feedback. That's happened to me every time I've tried to sell a car on eBay. Yeah. So immediately I bid right to the reserve and messaged the guy and I said, I'm serious. You know, I'm three hours away at the most. What'll it take? to get you to end the auction. And he gave me a number and I talked to my wife because I'm not a jerk. Um, right. <laughs> Cause it was a little more than I had saved up. Sure. And I didn't want to be like, Hey, I bought a car. I need to borrow money out of the savings account. Um, so she gave me her blessing cause she's awesome. And we made a deal via text. And I said, okay, I, I will be there with a, a plastic bag full of cash Saturday morning with a trailer. And that was a Wednesday. Then I didn't sleep Wednesday night. And I didn't sleep Thursday night. And Friday morning I texted him and I said, when will you be home from work? Can I come get the car today? <laughs> so the anxiety of it being three hours away was almost too much to handle then. <laughs> yes. There's no, I would have died if I bought a car in Japan. Awesome. So I hooked up the trailer and I essentially met him at home when he got home from work. It felt like a weird drug deal giving somebody that much money in a sandwich bag. Yeah, it never it never feels comfortable. <laughs> but the guy was awesome. Way. You know, the car was everything he said it was. And, you know, I couldn't thank him enough for for being cool and not like lying about stuff. So you say you looked at some that were not as nice. What are the specs in mm -hmm. this car? This is a GTST. So it's not a GTR. However, 
at some point in its life in Japan, it had a 94 GTR engine swapped in. Um, it's a manual, obviously. Rear-wheel drive. Um, it's got a documented, or it's, it's documented with like 16,000 miles. Um, we pulled the, the, Jap the Japanese equivalent of Carfax and got it all the way back into the early 2000s and the mileage like checks right out. Um, and this car was somebody's toy since it was new. Um, so it's got the RB26, the twin turbo. Um, it's got a rare, like discontinued aftermarket rear gear set. Um, so they're, they're 513s, which means driving it on the highway is kind of annoying. But it's dumb fast. Yeah, it, it's stupid quick. Um, like, it'll light the tires in third gear. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I mean, whoever had it over there had a lot of quality work done or really knew what they were doing. Um, so it's got a GTR front bumper, carbon fiber hood, GTR rear wing. It's got metal fender flares that are like welded in and formed to the body. It's got a lot of like really nice period correct just stuff, like modifications. Um, you know, some early 90s Recaro seats. I switched out the steering wheel because he had like a orange drifty boy eBay steering wheel on it. Um, I had a vintage Izumi Japanese wood steering wheel that I bought in the 90s knowing I wanted a Skyline. <laughs> so I put that on. And I changed out the wheels for some Nismo LMGT4 wheels that one of the GRM forum guys was very generous with. Yeah, that's an expensive wheel. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I did not pay market value for them. That's good. And I feel kind of bad yeah. about what I paid for them. Well, at the end of the day, he sold them to you. So, and you're using them. It's not like you bought them to flip them. Yes. You feel bad if you bought them to flip them, but if no, you I, them, I couldn't do that. If you wanted them and you're using them, then I'm sure he's happy that they're being used. So, he works for Nissan and wanted to see them on a skyline. Yep. There you go. So, I fulfilled yeah. his dream for him. Yeah, we we've all done that. I've I've given cars away for free just to make sure they got to the right hands. You know, it's oh yeah, it's not. Uh, it's not ideal financially, but at the end of the day, it makes you feel better about the car. And I, I'm sure you're of the same mindset as the rest of us that you know, these, these cars in our yard or garage aren't aren't currency. They're our lives, our passion. And right, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather a car go to a good home than make a million dollars on it. Don't get me wrong; it's nice to make money on selling stuff sometimes, but yeah, there's some stuff you just care about, and you have a, a hard time. Seeing go to the wrong hands and knowing the right person is getting it makes all the difference in the world. It's the whole reason I sold my Gallant earlier this year or end of last year or whatever it was, just because somebody who I knew would take care of it was buying it. And there was no, and did I lose my shirt on it? Sure did, but life goes on, right? So, oh, yeah. I, I sold my Q45 for way less than I could have because it was going to a young enthusiast who was in love with it. 
Right. Can you give Andrew some advice? Can say, can you give Andrew some advice in selling a Q45? <laughs> Price it way below market and somebody will buy it. Yeah, that's what he did. Yeah, well, anyway. You know, what's cool about your Skyline is that it's a rear-wheel drive version. Mm-hmm. And I think people don't, people forget that those exist and they only look at the GTRs. Yeah. And it's like, well, you can own a Skyline. Maybe it doesn't have all-wheel drive, but you can own a Skyline. And it'll be a little bit less, I think. I, I mean, I don't know what the market is versus a. You know, GTRs are very expensive, but I don't know what the market difference is between a rear-wheel drive, like say a stock one. Probably about half. Your car had probably about half. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not. They're nothing, they're, they're nothing to scoff at. I mean, they're still turbocharged inline six rear-wheel drive manual transmission cars. If the GTR mm-hmm. didn't exist, they would be an amazing car. And not, uh, they're not an amazing car. But what I'm saying is, if the GTR didn't exist, it would be the Halo car. The only reason the GTR is the Halo is because of the all-wheel drive, but there's nothing wrong with the GTST, especially an RB26 twin turbo GTST. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's the ideal. I'd probably rather have that for a fun car than have the all-wheel drive at that point. Cause it's simpler. It's probably more rewarding to drive. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's as fun as that Hoonable 57 Chevy is at that point. So yeah. It sounds fun to me, and people definitely don't forget they exist because uh, come to a Cars and Coffee out here, Andrew, and there's a lineup of GTSTs at every one of them. Well, yeah, I mean, that's different out there. It's like so much more JDM stuff. Mm-hmm. Of course, it wouldn't be the 300th episode without an audio issue, and Zencaster cut out like the last, I don't know, five minutes of the episode here. You really didn't miss much, but you definitely missed the social media shout-outs, so I'm just going to do those now for us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us for 300 episodes. And here's to 300 more. You can follow Patrick Gazowski at Pat Gazowski on Twitter and carsandkink.com and carsandkink on Instagram. He's also over doing posts for us on Parked in the Block. You can follow Brad, as always, TSISS350. We're all posting over at parkedontheblock.com. So go check that out. That's Parked on the Block without the K on Twitter parked on the block on instagram we've also got uh auto off topic on instagram go follow auto off topic on twitter and as always keep cars analog and aim for the roses <laughs>